guys, happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I gotta tell you, I know some of you weren't excited about the lack of big names on the pay-per-view over the weekend, but we sure as hell got some big fights, and coming up on today's show, I'm gonna tell you how Charles Oliveira proved me wrong, and I'm gonna explain why Alexander Volkanovsky was perhaps the biggest winner on Saturday night. But it's only right that we begin today's episode by paying homage to an all-time great. Amanda's retired. Boy, does that feel right, guys? You believe it? Do you buy it? I do. I think you should. Boy, she's given up a lot. But she's achieved a lot. It's really hard to relate. I don't know of anybody that we could ask. It's never happened before. A world champion that walks away on top. There is not a close second. There's a big match out there. Some meaningful opponents. But that just means you're going to burn some calories, right? I mean, if you, if you give it, put Amanda in a really hard match, that means you're probably going to see the fourth round. You might even see the fifth. You might even expire time. She had a really hard match this weekend. She won every single round. I think she even had a 10-8 somewhere in there. But there was no judge that had it closer than 50-45. That was a really hard fight, though, by Amanda Standards, just because she was out there for a while. She had to do more. I mean, do you understand, guys? This is dominance. Who has the most beautiful thing you could possibly hope for in a mixed martial arts career, which is participation in the pay-per-view. To activate that clause is difficult to do. There's something known as threshold. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. She had... Times two. See, that's the part. We knew some greats that walked away. Some real good fighters walked away on top. Khabib did it not that long ago. St. Pierre not that long before that. John Jones somewhere in that mix as well. But it's a very different thing when you have two, right? You're not just walking away from a world championship. You're walking away from two. So what do you do? It was beautiful how she did it. John Morgan called it the greatest retirement that he had seen. And I did not look at it that way until John said it. I mean, she, she comes in the ring. she got a sold-out arena that's cheering for her. She just had a beautiful performance. She's got a number one contender in the front row in the form of the Venezuela Vixen, who she is going to stick it to. You assume that she was going to have to do that with punches or have the punches stuck to her. She stuck it to her in a different way. She lays both belts down. She has her family in the ring. She has her beautiful daughter comes in and does a dance. John's right. It was the greatest retirement ever. It, it really was an awesome thing. But what do you do now? I mean, what strategy would you guys have? Because there's, you know, opportunity opens up. My goodness, is there ever some opportunity? There's opportunity times two. Don't forget, she's got two different belts. There are now two divisions that don't have a champion. There are now... Four girls, not two, they're going to be fighting for a world title. Do you see the opportunity? Amanda's one, okay? And she's going to fight in one of these weight classes against one other opponent. So there's one person alive that's going to have an opportunity to fight for a world title. There are now two vacancies, which means two vacant fights will happen at two different weight classes with four different bodies. You just upped the opportunity 75%. No, that math is wrong. You just upped it 300%. It's a wild, it, it really is a very fascinating spot. How are you going to handle who's going to go for it? What weight class do you want to do it at? 
I mean, Juliana Pena is a great one. She's going to stay at 135 pounds. She's got to fight for the belt at 135 pounds. I understand that I'm trying to have a conversation because if Juliana Pena was to bump up to 145, I think that field is less difficult. With Juliana's style, particularly how much she is moving on some of those punches where she'll come into a march step, she'll run into To have that against a bigger opponent has a hard time moving. I'm just sharing for you. Juliana is, I'm sure, locked at 135. They've probably already called her, said, be ready, we're going to get an opponent. I, for conversation's sake. For conversation's sake. Juliana only stayed at 135 because of Amanda. That's just where her business was with, with Amanda. She'd go up to 145. Sure she would, and maybe she should consider that. Now, 45-pounders, they're going to have to navigate, and they're going to have to lobby. And you had a lot of people come out in, in both divisions, people that called Amanda out since Amanda retired. They didn't call her out the day before or even the day of. But now that she's gone, they call her. That's, that's fine, right? I mean, it's not just the guys that are chickens in this sport. The guys are most certainly chickens, but it's not just the guys. The women are pretty cowardly, too. So now that you have these people that are calling her out, I mean, right, do, do you see the irony, guys? It's not just a cowardice of calling out somebody that you can't have when you could have called them out when you could have had them. It's not just a cowardless. You, you now, and you don't want to be a coward. Like, that's just not a great way to go through life. But you also don't want to be stupid. And now you got just a little touch of stupid in you. Because there's no opportunity there. There's no opportunity in calling Amanda out. There's no response. There's no rebuke. And there's no fight. Meanwhile, they're looking for four girls that can fog a mirror to fight for world championships, make a whole bunch of money, and probably be a main event somewhere. So, instead of calling Amanda out... How about one of you girls steps forward with a little alpha in you and the sense to then say who your protege is. Condescendingly call out whoever you think is next in line and get that world title fight. How about that? Because there is an opportunity for that. They are looking for somebody to do that. I do believe they've already got Juliana. I understand that. But so instead of four bodies, you got three. Very rare opportunity. Very rare opportunity that opened up because of the retirement of Amanda consider i know it's going to sound wild and i know your managers have never said this to you but just consider seizing that opportunity let's be real fair around here okay i will never speak the way that i have spoken about charles Oliveira again it's the best I can do for you. The best I can do for you. I was wrong. I did not know he was that good. I had reason to believe that he wasn't that good. Charles Oliveira has tapped out eight times. He says that submissions are his best thing. He's tapped out eight times. He's missed weight numerous times. He lost a world championship on the scale in Arizona and didn't know enough about the sport to fight that, of which would have been a hell of a fight, and he likely would have got the belt back. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. There's reasons for me to be critical of Oliveira. Now, he apparently has an incredible power. I did not know about his power watching his fights. I didn't know about his power Saturday watching uh, Benny. I learned about his power through John Anik, who quoted Justin Gaethje, who bragged about the power of Charles Oliveira. That's interesting to me. 
That is a really interesting tidbit. I love to hear from opponents. I worked out with St. Pierre a couple of times. I was stunned by the strength of George St. Pierre. It was deceptive and it was surprising. And I remember it. And even moreover, is I was so surprised after I felt that strength that his past opponents, Koscheck, Hughes, BJ, weren't talking about how strong he was. I mean, it, it was like a superpower. And I, I only bring that to you because the way that guys will talk about, it's a big deal. They don't like to be complimentary. Eddie Alvarez is so complimentary of Conor McGregor, and that surprises me. Eddie did not like Conor. He didn't like him going into that fight. He didn't like him now. But he's honest about what he felt. He's honest about the southpaw. He's honest about the power. He's honest about the setups. He's honest about the speed. And that stuff matters. It goes a long way. Charles Oliveira... Says he wants to rematch Islam. He says that that wasn't him. I did not believe those things. Sure looked like him. He's now saying, I will go to Abu Dhabi. I will go to Islam's backyard. Now, when you're of that mindset, the only thing that you're succeeding at doing is convincing the smart marks like Chael that, hey, you really do want to do this rematch. You really do feel there is something different. You feel that you are holding a secret, a secret about that night, and you can come out and straighten it to the world. I didn't trust the sincerity of Charles Oliveira. Look, guys, by the way, I'm explaining right now why I've been hard on Charles. I'm not going to do it anymore. I am not. It's rude. It's rude, right? I mean, there's a game here, and there's sportsmanship to the game. He won, and he won in a very decisive fashion. Not to mention he had to deal with adversity. While I tell you that Charles won that fight, Charles was losing that fight. Oh, and by the way, he lost more aspects of the fight than he won. And before you think I'm putting him down for that, I'm not. That's adversity. To come back when you're losing. It doesn't matter if you're losing for 10 seconds, guys. Or in his case, several minutes. If you can come back from that, you get credit. Who out-wrestled who? Not even a question. Benny. Whose groundwork looked more festive? Not even a question. Benny. So I, I'm just sharing with you, those aren't insults to Charles. Charles had to overcome that. He's losing the wrestling battle. He's losing the range battle. He's losing the pressure battle. But he found a way. He found a way to win quickly and within a round that wasn't going his way. That's really good job. And he says that he wants to go and he's willing to fight Islam anywhere. He's going to come to Abu Dhabi. Now, that, this is a very different song that he's singing. And we see guys do this as soon as they're not the champion, right? It's the problem with that bell. It's the problem with who you give an opportunity to become your champion and what you're going to have to deal with. Another guy that I don't speak fondly of, but it's not fair. It's not fair. And I, I, it's not fair is Leon. I give Leon a hard time and I shouldn't. Leon is awesome. But I'm going to use him as an example because it's the most recent one. Leon will do anything for an opportunity. We as a community got together and we band together and fought for him to be given an opportunity that we thought he should have already had. We did everything we could to make sure that he wasn't overlooked and we won. And when he wins the belt, I'm not talking about the head kick one heard around the world. I'm talking about solidified. I'm talking about the last fight, the third fight with Kamar Usman. When he goes out there and wins, it wasn't 
the 10th thing we asked him to do that was too much. It wasn't the 30th thing that we asked him to do where we finally got some resistance. It was the very first thing we asked him to do. All of these, we as a community fought like hell to make sure he wasn't overlooked. He wins the championship. He's asked to fight Covington. He says no. I know those things will work themselves out. I'm not looking to give Leon a hard time. I'm looking to use Leon to prove a point because here we have Oliveira saying, I will come to your backyard. But before their last fight, I'm talking about Oliveira versus Islam. Oliveira raised a great big stink about having to go to Abu Dhabi. He said that Abu Dhabi is the backyard, that it is not fair, that the judges will not be, that the crowd in the venue is not fill in the blank. He said all of these things. And you know, that's a stretch. That's a stretch, but he meant that's a stretch. Abu Dhabi and Fight Island, a isolated bubble that thank God in heaven above they were able to find when the rest of the world decided to shut down. I mean, in all fairness, is the backyard to a guy who lives in Dagestan, Russia, and trains out of so Jose, San Jose, California. What map are you looking at to come to that conclusion? But he still did. And I, I only bring that to you. He was the champion. He was in the driver's side. He's getting participation. They had just potentially screwed up in Arizona. We'll never know. We'll never know because he didn't fight it. But what a difference a day makes, right? What a difference taking a belt off somebody. What a difference when a guy is hungry and wants something. He wants other people to share when he's hungry. But when he's full and those other people are trying to make it, he's telling them, you should have found a way. You should figure it out on your own like I did. I'm just sharing with you. It's a different attitude. But with a different attitude, you can have different performances, which can lead to different outcomes. I feel as though we're seeing a different Charles Oliveira here. Is that enough to sway a very one-sided ass-whipping that he took? Probably not. But is it enough to sell to the audience who apparently already likes him? I mean, not for nothing, the great journalist Ariel Helwani, you want to know what his take of this fight was? It's about over the weekend. Darush and Oliveira. Do you want to know what Ariel's takeaway was? It wasn't the comeback. It wasn't the right hand. It wasn't the finish. It wasn't stopping a guy who'd won his last eight in a row. It wasn't any of those things. Ariel Helwani's takeaway is how stunned he was at how the crowd in Canada treated Charles as their own. And he's right. From the guys with the contacts to, 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 to the guys in the cheap seats. They were going crazy for Charles. I couldn't believe it. And then he hit him with that goofy line. Lightweight has a champion. His name's Charles Oliveira. They went crazy. You put that on a bumper, on a t-shirt, you put that on a bumper sticker. I cannot believe that slogan. Believe me, if I thought there was any legs to that slogan, I would have put it on a t-shirt. I had no idea. People love it, and they love him. And as far as my time of pulling him back, discounting him, making decisions on speculative rumors, they're done. Charles Oliveira won. Fair and square. So, I just got asked a question by Ryan. Guess what he said to me? 
just how good is Alex Volkanovsky? Now, this is in light, okay? The previous question that he had asked me is, did you watch the fight Saturday? Great. Coming out of the conversation of the fight Saturday, Ryan wants to know just how good is Volkanovsky. I sat back and said, what's your math? He says, well, Charles Oliveira lost pretty handily to Islam. Volkanovsky, many people thought, beat Islam. And whether he did or not, the competitiveness was there. And Ryan didn't quite get, quite get to the step I thought he was going to go to, which is Volkanovski beat Max three times. Max Holloway finished Charles Oliveira. That's where I thought he was going to go. Now, move that aside. I love that perspective, guys. And we used to do this to the point that you guys teased me, where I would say just how good is Conor McGregor, but there kept on being fights that would happen in Conor's absence. Whether Connor was absent from 45 because he went up to 55, whether Connor was absent from MMA because he went over to boxing. And these fights kept happening. And these guys kept winning that Connor made look as though they don't belong. And it was to the point that you guys gave me a hard time, right? Where's Kevin Lee fit into this? And even Errol Hawaii was team. Well, just how good is Connor McGregor? But I like what Ryan's doing here because Volkanovsky is one of the stars. He, he is one of the stars coming out of Saturday, for sure. And I want to lay out something interesting for you guys. And I'm trying to think in my mind. I'm buying myself some time here. I'm trying to think of what order is the best to do this. Because while Ryan had Volkanovsky, guess who I had? I had Khabib. Everything Ryan said to me about Volkanovsky, that watching the pay-per-view over Saturday, watching Charles Oliveira made him appreciate and understand the greatness of Volkanovsky more, I had the same thoughts, except I had them towards Khabib. Let me give you a scenario. You want to know a super fight. A super fight, right? Think about John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, guys. Think about that. Think about your temperature if we could bring that together, right? And you would love that. You would love that to the point that you almost don't consider that. You don't consider that because your mind stops you as the defense mechanism because you're well aware that you can't have it. So why get excited for something that you never have the ability to enjoy? But what if? What if we took a leap and you could imagine that we get Francis and John together? Why not? If we're going to do Tyson Fury on a one-off, if we've already said we're just going to be silly and we're going to have some fun, and about every 10 years, Dana White will just have some fun. He separates it. Right, the James Tony or CM Punk, I mean, he, he'll separate it by about 10 years. But then he'll come in and he'll do something fun. Floyd Mayweather versus Conor. Then he'll throw his hands up and say, I'm never going to do this again. And he won't. He will get back to discipline and stringent, Dan. And then about a decade later, he'll let us have some fun. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. If that's what we're going to do, if we're going to do Tyson Fury on a one-off, why not do it with Francis? Why not? And don't give me any of your answers. He signed with the PFL. PFL will work it out. Why not? But, but what if? Now, do you want to know why you like Francis and John more now than you did a few months ago when you thought you were going to have it? Do you want to know why? Right. Right. If we've already established it, right? Because it was taken away. Do you want to know when an artist does his best work? Would it surprise you to know that Van Gogh died poor? Would that surprise you? The painter of the Mona Lisa died a poor man. Artists, fame and worth goes up in their death. We know that. 
but it's true with martial artists as well. So just allow me. Just let me have a little bit of fun here. Volkanovsky retires. He walks away. I'm out. I'm done. And he spends that whole time getting bigger, and he tells everybody that'll listen, I'm done. I'm done. And he just lets it go. Man, nobody's going to replace Volk. That's the greatest ever. You guys believe that now. Wait until his absence, which is going to be captivated and catapulted by guys who he destroyed. And it's just going to make him look better and better and better. And then let's say that he returns in around a year against Khabib. It's, it's a very different scenario, right? I mean, that fight of Volkanovski versus Khabib, there's nowhere where you would lay out and say, as far as MMA dreams go, you're a promoter. You gotta promote. You gotta one night. You gotta make it work. But you can have any fight that you want. That one right there, Volkanovski versus Khabib, with Volkanovski's absence from the sport. That is as good of a fight as you can put together. That is as good as Francis versus Jones. And you want to know why I bring Khabib into this? Khabib's legacy. And right, legacy is a real strange word. It's a strange word because we in this community have it as a natural part of our vernacular, but no one, and I do mean no one, has ever defined it for you. Goat and pound for pound go into that same category of common vernacular within our industry. And even the author of the statement, who technically has poetic license over it, has never taken the time to define it. So, if Charles was the champion right now, that would mean that Charles beat Islam. And if Charles had beaten Islam, don't forget Charles is the same age, don't forget Charles is the same era, don't forget Charles was on the roster when Khabib retired. And I almost got to say that Khabib resigned, right? I almost got to say he resigned. Because he, he was such a meaningful, I mean, he was a CEO of a very beautiful brand. And boy, did he represent a huge part of population, right? But if Khabib, or I apologize, if Charles had beat Islam, that question would be there. It would be there because, Is, uh, I apologize, Khabib and Charles never met head to head. So what Islam was able to do was to completely protect the legacy of Khabib. And Khabib knew that when Islam went in. Khabib knew full well the risk, and he didn't blink at all. You want to talk about somebody that was confident? Khabib did just fine with confidence in his own career. Khabib's confidence within his own career is shallow in comparison to the depth of confidence Khabib has in Islam. So when Ryan saw the fights this weekend and he thought it made Volk look good, he's right. He makes a really great point, but I've also got to put Khabib in there to a degree. And I'll tell you guys one, one final thought. When you have Benny versus Oliveira, and have you guys ever seen this? It's very common in old school boxing. But one guy will go to the ring and the other guy will not come. He will not leave the locker room. There isn't a built-in mechanism to force him. It's not something that any promoter or commission thought they were ever going to have to deal with. So there's no, they don't have an ability. There's not a fine in place. There's not a suspension. There's not the loss of a point. There's not the loss of a round. There's not a disqualification. There's... 
what can you do if the guy doesn't leave the locker room? We saw this one time in the history of MMA. It was in something called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it was Randy Couture versus Vitor Belfort Gracie, part one. And Big John, who was the referee, didn't know this is live. This is happening right now, and Vitor's not coming to the ring. Randy's in the ring, what we call spoiling. He, spo he was warmed up and he was prepared physically and mentally. He's now cooling down. He's now confused. His mind is now somewhere else. What is going on? At least in theory. Big John had to leave the ring. I mean, that's a whole other story. How Big John handled this is a whole other story to get Vitor to the ring. But I suggest this for you. Because if we understand there's a piece of psychology about making a guy wait right there in the moment, imagine the psychology that Benny was up against when Oliveira made him wait an entire month. I mean, this fight was supposed to happen a month ago. I thought that favored Benny. I thought that showed a weakness by Charles. I still think that I'm right. I think if those guys fought again, you could have a different result, but that's not the way we play this game. And when you do look in hindsight, that didn't quite look like Benny did it. Something was off with Benny, wasn't it? And one little thing we know it throws that way, pressure, adrenaline dump. There's all these different things in these different words, but they're real. And if those athletes can allow one of those things in, it can change the performance, which will impact the outcome. And I suggest for you, the same way that Vitor made Randy wait, and the same way as Randy had to process it, and whether that bothered him or not, we still saw it unfold. You just saw the same thing, except instead of 30 seconds, it was 30 days. And I can't help but believe that in some regard, that played an impact. Aaron Bronster, guys. I really encourage you to follow and listen to Bronster. I, I know that you do. I know he's got a good fan base, but he is different. He is as close to journalism as you're going to get him. Mean, he's at upper echelon, for sure. The Josh Gross would fall into that category. Errol Hawani would fall into that category. Stephen Morocco would fall into that category. Of actual journalism, Kevin Ioli would fall into that Well, Kevin's probably the leader of that category, but you, you understand my point, right? Like, there's there's different guys. And Bronstetter did an interview with Dana White, and he just said, hey, what's up? Kamara Usman, Osmet Chemaev, what's up? Dana said, those rumors are BS. So there's nothing going on there. And I had to sit back a little bit and go, well, hold on a second, because the only time I've ever heard about Usman and Shemayev, I heard it from Dana. Dana's the one that did that piece. So the rumors being BS, man, I got, I got it straight from you. What did I get wrong here? And it would be very unusual that I would get anything wrong, but then he elaborated and all he said, wait, we have moved on. That was Dana's point. The current rumors or discussion that that's what we're getting ready to do in October is not true. We have a different plan for them. And the reason that fight fell apart was catchweight. Great. Now he stops right there and he moves on. So, but now you have to know. See, this is where it is important that if you just got that interview, you don't have the info. You, ha you have to know what Dana's alluding to. I just want to connect some of those dots for you guys. Dana said from Jump Street, I love it. Kamara Uzman, Hazmat Jamal, I love it, but it's a catchweight. I don't do catchweights. Now, I just want you guys to understand why 
why it would be a catchweight. Kamara Usman can go with the 185-pounders. Kamara Usman, when he wrestled at a very high level, he was a national champion, but he was looking to make the Olympics. He's getting regular workouts at the Olympic Training Center. In fact, you can go on YouTube and you can watch Kamara Usman and Kale Sanderson go live. Very, very interesting. But if you happen to see that, that's on the mats in the room at the Olympic Training Center, just for perspective. So he's a very high-level guy. And he did it at 185 pounds. Uh, the exact weight was 184.75 pounds. Okay, 185 pounds. I, I, I say that because he, he's big enough, but he knows he's big enough. Kamar Usman watched Chamaya. That's not an act. It's not a joke. He's not getting any attention for it. It'd be a big fight. It'd be a co-main event fight. Three rounds. Really, really interesting match, right? Kamar Usman doesn't want to become the number one contender at middleweight. He doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to get matched up with Adesanya. And that has that has nationalistic ties back to Africa that are very strong. Uh, like as far as why two guys won't won't match up, I can't even call it an excuse. It honestly is the single best reason that I've ever heard. It is, and you might not like it. You say, well, how can two guys that tie back to Africa not fight when Duplessis and Adesanya are trying to fight right now over Africa? Well, if you don't know the difference there, I'm not going to be the one that explains it to you. I'm just sharing for you. If he doesn't want to fight Adesanya, he can't go to 185 pounds and do a fight that he plans to win that would make him number one contender. Do you see how that would be a problem? So Usman is being very honest up front. Usman deserves credit for this. He really does. It was Usman's idea. Usman had one conflict. Just, I'm going to go back to 170. I just want to handle this piece of business up here. This guy's been calling me out forever. You didn't give him to me because you didn't think he was ready for a title fight. I'm no longer champion. Like, all the things line up, and I'm even ready to go to Abu Dhabi. Like, Usman deserves credit. Usman handled this very well. And Usman's saying it needs to be the catchweight. And the catchweight, by the way, could be anything but middle. Middleweight's 185 pounds. We're all, we're all aware of that. Usman would do it in a catchweight of 100 85.1 pounds. He would do it at a catch weight of 184.9 pounds. He's attempting to prove a point that it's not at that weight class and therefore can't affect those rankings. Therefore, wouldn't make me a number one contender. Therefore, you will never call me and ask me or expect me to fight a countryman who I don't want to compete with. It was very above board. And even if his language was different and saying catchweight, this is exactly what the message was. And everybody in the room that had adult ears knew what the message was. And I only bring that to you guys because there is a different way that Diana says we're not doing a fight. There's a different way. This was the different way. This is the one where not only is he not doing it, he's a little frustrated with talking about it. That's just the truth. Now, in conjunction with this... Aaron Bronstetter interview with Dana White, where these quotes came from, in conjunction with that time frame, about three hours separated, it might have been on the front end, might have been on the back end, but Hazmat Chamayev assured the world that he is fighting in Abu Dhabi on that October card. So now the big question becomes with who, right? They took Paulo Costa away with who? With who is he going to be matched up? I don't have the answer to that question. I don't, but, but, but everything is on the table. I am very light on the idea that it will be against Adesanya. I mean, light on the idea 
Let's rephrase this. It will not be against Adesanya. But there are things, such as a lack of opponent for both of them and the clock ticking, there are things that make it possible. Now, is it also possible that Jemaya fight in August on the Australia card? I don't see why not, but there's a rumor going around that Chemayev is having travel restrictions and must fight on Fight Island. That's a rumor going around. It's the second time this rumor has gone around. The first time it went around, I walked, I was in uh, Las Vegas. I see Chemayev's manager. I walk up to him and say, hey, can Chemayev not get in the country? These are the rumors going around. The manager gives me a weird look and just turns and points. Chemayev was standing right there. Right? He's right. He's in Las Vegas, where I'm in Las Vegas. But the rumors are going around that he can't travel. So I only say to you, it would be a little bit weird that I would believe and perpetuate a rumor that is now showing and rearing its head for the second time when the first was disproven by me. But we still have it. It's still out here. And if there's truth to that, if that's accurate, fine. We just now know we're not going to be moving Jemayev, that he is going to be on the October card. And the question of against who is still available. And just in case somebody was missing the language that Kamara was using, just in case, on the extremely outside chance, Kamara doesn't care about 185, just so you know. So if you don't care about number one contendership and you can find a way to work with this, including allowing it to be a number one contenders match, which means Kamara has the golden ticket, but he can use it down a weight. I mean, there's ways to get this done. Weight's not an issue. Money's not an issue. Rounds aren't an issue. Location's not an issue. Date's not an issue. What is being perceived as the reward to the victor is an issue. I don't think you needed me to say this. I think that's known. But just in case, you can still do Kamara versus Jemayev. John Jones, oh boy. I mean, I have so many thoughts on John Jones, and some of them come from a place of envy. Some of them come from a place of imagination, where I will see him... And but then I'll but I'll wish I was in his spot. I wish I was doing that interview. I wish I was in the ring winning championship. I wish I was in the ring making up techniques, right? So it's they're not always an insult, but boy, it's hard to see him and not be critical. Or sometimes you just gotta sit back and go, man, what are we doing here? It's it's very important, and it's very fair that you ask a guy, why are you here? And the reason I say that is so many people will do that and they'll answer that at 18 years old. They're going into college. They're going into the military. They're going to go pursue world and Olympic dreams. They're looking for the NBA, the NFL. I'm just sharing with you. Right? I'm going to go through college. I'm going to get right. I'm going to do all these things so I can get the attention of the league, get picked up in a draft. That's a very fair answer. We get out of college and now pursuing it's a little bit different. There's not scholarships. There's there's not a dorm. There's not a meal waiting for you. You got to figure it out on your own. So is it something that you really want to do? And if so, why? Is it intrinsic? Because I, I know for John Jones, at one point it was. All wrestlers, all amateur wrestlers have to operate on something called intrinsic value. 
because you're the only one that's going to know. Right? You're the only one that's going to see it. Nobody's coming to those matches. So when we ask John that question now, what is this about? It's about the money. And the cat is out of the bag on that many years ago. John Jones left the sport and said, I'm only coming back if we change the money. He came out the night they put him in the Hall of Fame. Between going to the Hall of Fame and going to jail, which was all in the same evening, somewhere in between there, he did an interview. And I really appreciate it because I believed him. It turned out he lied. I believed him, though. And what he said was, I changed the money with the office. But the way I'm going to be rewarded is in the number of pay-per-view buys. So I'm going to have to go out and sell these pay-per-views. I've never done that before. It's going to be new for me. He said these words. I believed him. It sounded so sincere, and it sounded as though he understood it. Not to mention, he's right. If your part of your financial participation goes up with pay-per-view buys, then y yes, y yes, Columbo. You need to up the pay-per-view. It's great. Really simple, right? But now he was in a position over the weekend. He comes out, he does this interview, okay? Now, John has been crushing it in interviews. He jumped in to someone else. Right? Green's doing an interview, and John jumps in. They call it a cameo. And this is over, like, Zoom. It's not even the world's best technology. Turned out, John was in the house. He pops in. He calling Francis' name. He pops right back out. Let's Green finish an interview. It was a great spot. It really was. It was very well done. It was authentic. It wasn't nice. I mean, here you guy you got you got a guy with the, the Bible tattooed on him, and, and he's calling a guy uh, P U S S Y, right? Repeatedly. That's good stuff. That worked. I appreciated that little cheap thing over Zoom. Meanwhile, this weekend, John does an interview, and it's great. It's not over Zoom. It's high tech, probably on an Ari Alexa camera. With a great fob and a great interviewer and a great backdrop. And he shows up in this fly shirt, man. He looks good. He's all buttoned up. It's a similar one to what I'm wearing now, but long. So he had these glasses on, right? He's wearing sunglasses. I know for a fighter to wear sunglasses inside. You're talking about low-hanging fruit, but this is also a guy who's never had a gimmick, aside from one that nobody wants to buy, known as the G-O-D. So this is good stuff. I'll take John Jones in a pair of shades. Sure. And they ask him about Tyson Fury. Fight that could be. What do you need to have a fight, guys? There's four things, and I'm talking about the mega fights. The mega fights. You got four things. You got to have a red corner and a blue corner. In this case, Jones, Tyson. They're here. They're both here. They're at the table. You've then got to convince a promoter. Dana's here. He's at the table. He is chomping at the bit. And then you got to have an audience for it. We, they sure as hell do. Th this is a massive piece of business, but it's going to require something outside of the box, which means it's going to require you to study other times that a wild match like this was put together and what ingredients did it have. And then moreover, you're going to learn in reverse, which is you're going to see what happened to all the guys that went for these fights and they got laughed away and they didn't even remotely get closer. You're not going to have to go back very far. You can go look at McGregor and Pacquiao recently. You can go look at Kamara Usman's call out of Canelo recently. You can look at De La Hoya and George St. Pierre recently to find out what did they do, what were the commonalities, because obviously they were wrong. And you're going to start to put your plan together. And if you ever find yourself explaining, you're now losing. Let me give you an explanation. 
I, John Jones, can beat Tyson Fury in MMA, but he probably won't fight me here. He does an element of fighting known as box. That's one element. In 1904, the ancient Olympics in Athens, Greece, had a sport called pancreation. They removed pancreation, which we now know as mixed martial arts, the greatest fighting system, and they just have elements such as box. Shut the F up. If you're ever explaining that, if you're ever explaining that boxing and MMA aren't the same thing and why, if you're ever explaining that MMA is a complete fight and that's a partial fight, you're losing. If you're ever explaining you're losing, that's dull and that's boring. You're talking about the X's and O's. That doesn't draw anywhere. Who's this good-looking guy that dated the, the good-looking girl? Manning. I want to call him Manning, but that's not it. Tom. Tom Manning. Brady. Eli Brady. Brady. It's a Brady guy. He's never going to play, and then they're going to try to sell tickets by talking about the problem that he could have with the opposing team's defensive end, who's good at reading screenplays, and knows how to get to the QB and sack him, and he's even got a record number of doing it. Like, you know, the X's and O's are so, but why would you ever bring that up? You've got to go after Tyson's ego, the end, the end. He says he will fight anybody. I will fight him. I will fight him now. I even have a promoter. And don't, don't forget, Tyson doesn't. I was very surprised to learn what little power Tyson has in the business. I mean, when he called out Francis, but he couldn't get a promoter to go along with him, I was really surprised. I thought Tyson could make a phone call, have some favors, have some friends, get things done. It turns out that he can't. I'm not teasing him. I'm just telling you that I was surprised. So if John is going to, to Tyson and he, want, and, he, and he wants to fight, you have one promoter. Who's Dana White? You have one promoter that said, we will figure out how to pay him. All he has to do, and I do mean all he has, is call me. If that's too much effort, this is Dana talking, if that's too much effort for Tyson to call me, who I have a relationship and he has my number, he can have one of his people call me. He doesn't even have to pick up a phone. Dana said, I'll make the fight and I'll pay him. So we're not now having a discussion of what the rules are going to be. We now know what the rules are going to be. And if Tyson would like to match that, if he would like to get Eddie Hearn to back him and say the same thing, okay, now the discussion continues. But Tyson came to the table with no money, no distribution, and no interest from a promoter. John came to the table with a promoter. So we're not having a discussion about the rules. That's all that I'm sharing for you. Now, if we're going to fight... I've got to attack, I have to bring into question your ability to actually fight. I don't need to get to the back and forth of the rules. I need to talk about the fact that you've got a smaller man. You have a 205-pounder. You have a fat 205-pounder calling you out. Are you going to answer for it or not? And everybody can hide behind money until now. Dana said, I got the money. That's all you got to do. This is it. What does John do instead? What does he do? Puts on the sunglasses. Okay, so now he's performing. He's prepared to perform. He put the glasses on. If you do a gimmick of any kind, that's going to tell a cameraman, I got a worker here. Let's work with him. John goes out, he does the interview, and he talks about what a magnificent opponent Tyson Fury would be. Now, you guys know I'm not a dork. I don't use the word magnificent. I don't describe somebody's fighting style as magnificent. John did. 
What a magnificent fighting. Well, what a great opponent Tyson Fury will be. This is how he came at it. Okay, but you got to understand, if you're Tyson Fury, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight anybody. Tyson Fury doesn't want to fight anybody. He did. He used to want to fight because he wanted to unify the championship. It's where people always got confused about him versus Joshua. They thought it was a personal thing against Joshua. It wasn't. Joshua dropped the strap. Tyson lost interest. So he's just not in a position right now where he wants to fight anybody. Now, I will fight you if you piss me off the wrong way. If you say something, it's going to go one year and out the next. If you say something and the gypsies believe it and they come to me and I've got to prove myself to them, believe me, I will. That's the one and only way you're going to get him. John says he's magnificent. Right? What do we have to fight about that? You just told the world that I'm great. You just told the world about my abilities and my skills and how good they were. What are we fighting about? It sounds like we're in agreement. Final X was over the weekend and Flo did such a good job. They have upped production and they have upped the value of some of that content. And I just thought Final X was a really good display of that. That isn't without a couple of criticisms. But it was really great, wasn't it? I mean, just from a production standpoint, we knew the athletes would deliver. We knew the competition was going to be great. Jordan Burroughs. Jordan Burroughs, even in defeat, might be the best wrestler alive. Like I can't remember a match that Jordan had and I, 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 of course, am taking out his final match at the Olympics in 2016. That wasn't Jordan Burroughs. But if you take that out, I can't remember a match that I ever saw Jordan in where I didn't go, wow, that guy's good. And that includes the ones where his hand wasn't raised. That includes what happened with Marstel over the weekend. I want to go, God damn, that Jordan is good. Look at him. He's not out there getting tired. He's not slowed down. And see, that's what happens when an athlete has success or when he gets a little older or when he's aging or even when his time is about to expire. You see where he starts to slow down. You start to see reflex. You start to see that grit. How bad does he want it? Can he score when he has to? Those are the kinds of things that start missing. That's just not happening with Jordan Burroughs. Now, there is a bit of a rule that really needs to be observed, which is if you're the top guy and you lose your spot, particularly to a younger guy. If you're a top guy and you lose your spot, you are never getting that spot back. And I'm just watching as, as, as I'm observing what's going on with Jordan Burroughs. It's at the same time over in the MMA world with Kamar Usman. And Kamaru's wondering, what do I do next? I want to stay at 170. And there is always a belief by an athlete if he's a top guy, I'm coming back. I'm going to get my spot back. They don't ever get it back. It never comes back. But the belief is it has to be here. And if you go and look historically at guys who are the exception to the rule of what I just said, the top guy who gets beat, but he comes back and makes a team, they all do the same thing. Do you know what it is? I'm stalling. Do you know what it is? It is the only thing that Jordan should do. I don't predict for you he's going to do it. I'm buying you some time. This is history talking. This isn't just Chael and Chael's opinion. Historically, I can prove 
the one way the top guy can lose and come back to the top, do you know what it is? You change weight classes, but you don't go down. You go up. All the rules are different if you go up. The hardest guy to fight, the hardest guy to wrestle, the hardest guy to box, the hardest guy to grapple is one weight class below you. Jordan Burroughs has never lost to David Taylor, to put that in perspective for you. And they've been some great matches. And please don't think you're going to correct me by telling me what you saw on Flow a year ago. That was a cash grab. That was asked by Taylor. That was agreed to by Flo. The final person to the table was Jordan at a weight class that Jordan never competed in. And by the way, the final score was 4-4. Four to four. So before you tell me that he lost a match that was designed for him to not win, right? I won't say it was designed for him to lose, but it sure as hell was designed for him not to win. I've got no problem with it. I'm just reminding you, it was 4-4. Four to four and I'm, I'm not. I, you call it what you want. I'm not. And to hang in there for Paris and think that you're going to go down 10 pounds historically is a very bad idea. And once you get there, you're going to run into the world's greatest wrestler. Oh, by the way, you're going to run into Nolf, who you were one point with a year ago. Oh, by the way, you're going to cut and drop into the same weight class as the guy that you just had problems with three times over the weekend. And I'm not giving a hard time. I'm telling you, historically, the great guys who lose their spot, because they don't understand why they lost it. And, it. and it will always come down to a physicality. If they ever sit with their coaches and or trainers and or themselves and they're meditating in a room, they will always bring their loss down to a physicality. When every time it's a mentality. And matches have been getting closer and tighter with Jordan Burroughs for 10 years. Even when Jordan is whipping somebody's ass, the matches are getting tighter. They're getting tighter and tighter and tighter because the guys are watching him. The guys are studying him. Mars Steller, every day since 2012, has planned for Jordan Burroughs. Jordan doesn't even know that. Jordan hasn't planned every day for Mars Steller from December of last year. But Marsteller did every single day. He closed his eyes at night. That's who he pictured. Starochi did the same thing. Derringer did the same thing. Whether they met up or not, these guys are planning for him. Kyle Dick did the same thing. Jason Nolfs does the th same thing. You want to know who has not planned for him at all? You know who has not studied him? You know who hasn't been in the practice room? You know who has not discussed what they're going to do when they get on the mat with JB? Anybody at 185 pounds. Nobody. So Jordan is now put in a position of, do I cut weight to go to 74, to go into the ringer where Dega's likely to medal? Dega's likely to sit out. So now you're going to have two hammers. And I likely just told you who they are. It's likely going to be Jason Nolf and Chance Marsteller. Maybe not in that order. And if somebody comes in and disrupts it, so it's not Nolf and Marsteller, possibly not in that order, but if somebody disrupts it, then just imagine how good that guy is going to be. I mean, right, and that happens in Olympic year. We have guys step forward that do something we didn't know they could do every single cycle. What if it's at that weight class? Or, or instead of losing 10 pounds, and strong, instead of drawing in a murderer's row, instead of going against guys that you're familiar with, but what you don't realize is that they've studied for you every single day. Instead of doing that, you go up to a weight class. Which, by the way, if you were to make the team, you are now going to go to the Olympics itself 
minus the number one seed. I mean, that, that's what it would mean. If Burroughs could make the team at a, that's a huge if, but I'm just discussing with you as you're looking at things and you're trying to observe and you're trying to think of what the next move is. There is nowhere in history you can show me a guy that went down ever, ever, zero. But you could show me guys that you thought were done and they came back and they moved up. And moving up would mean going against somebody who he's familiar with, not lost to, in a weight class that's never prepared for him, with a size and a strength that would be very fun and compelling, very interesting, right? He's either got to take 10 pounds of muscle off or he can go and just try to put a few on. And by the way, if you succeed, you will then go to the Olympics and a bracket otherwise number one seed will be removed. And Kumar Usman is in a similar spot to get what he wants and return to his throne, historically speaking, isn't going to happen. But history would say otherwise if he learned the secret, right? It's this great secret that happens right in front of you, but it's an American phenomenon. If I do good at 79, I do great at 74. No. If you did okay at 79, you got no chance at 74, but you could be the guy at 85. That's how it works. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you want to hear more from me, follow me on social media. Maybe go over to my TikTok. Check me out on YouTube, guys. Just make sure you're back here on Friday. I will talk to you soon. And tell that I'm Chael Sutton. And you are welcome.